Hey, everybody, and welcome to On the Battlefield with Father Michael Marcantoni and me, Father Joseph Collins, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst the struggles and suffering of life. Father Michael, uh, it's good to be with you again. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find us on the internet and on social media? Excellent. Always a joy to be here. Always a joy to record. Uh, of course, uh, On the Battlefield can be found on our main platform, Anchor FM, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And we are on social media, On the Battlefield Podcast, on Facebook and Instagram. We share out over all of our platforms. Please do like, share, and send in your comments and questions. We want to make this a discussion rather than monologue. Yeah, so today uh, we're going to talk about uh, being mentally prepared, the, the fighter's mentality. Why don't, why don't you kick that off for us, Father? Um, you, you told me before we started recording a, a story about a monk. Yes. So, yeah, well, a couple of monks. So this is the thing, right? Like mental resilience is what makes the difference between victory or defeat in so many fields. Um, you see that wear down, like you see that, that that really wears down under pressure. And the more grueling the activity, the more essential it is. Uh, I knew guys when I was in the army, I knew guys who were uh, in very specialized corners of the army. Uh, you know, I was not right. I, I was not like a green beret or anything like that. I, I don't, while I would love to be able to throw around those kinds of credentials, I didn't earn them. I didn't do things that were that cool. However, I know people who did, I know people who were in those circles and they weren't always the most physically imposing. They weren't always the biggest, the baddest. I mean, they were strong, but they didn't always look, you know, just dramatically, physically larger, more muscular than everybody else, but they were all mentally tougher to an infinite degree. They all had a mental toughness that was standard deviations beyond, um, you know, what would be a really tough guy in any other unit. And that allowed them to do things that other people simply couldn't do. So a, a mental fortitude is by far more valuable than just brute physical fortitude because if you have the if you have mental fortitude you can build the other so the idea that uh, the so the problem the biggest problem with this the, the biggest thing that mentally strong individuals have is they have a they have the habit of not forgetting what it is they are there to accomplish they do not forget what they are about to do so um so here's the story that i told you so yesterday, as I was reading in the uh, in the sayings of the Desert Fathers, as I am wont to do, uh, there was a story about two monks, and you know, as for our listeners out there, the Desert Fathers were these great ascetics, these men and women that headed out into the Egyptian desert in the early fourth century when Christianity was just starting to get acceptable and cushy, and they wanted to live focused lives of, of, of prayer and fasting and dedicate themselves to a, a rigorous following of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and in fact, today, like most of our services and our prayers and so forth come from the, that era. Uh, so they've left a, a long mark. But these were, these were individuals who, you know, fasting and prayer was their bread and butter. It wasn't something they did sometimes. It was what they were about, and they broke, you know, they only celebrated or broke the fast very occasionally. So in any case, so one of the monks is outside of his cell, and he's, and he's just over, it says he's overcome by dejection. He is worn down. He is mentally worn out. He's giving up. He's overcome by dejection, and he lays down, and he's laying on his back, sighing up at the sky. And one of his brother monks, who you can tell by the rest of the story, must be a good friend of his, sees him and he comes up to him and he's, you know, he, he comes to him later and he says, Abba, which is father, you know, Abba, who, who is that? Who is that layman that I saw wa around outside your cell earlier today? And the first monk says, there, there's no layman around here. There's only us monastics. What are you talking about? He's like, no, I'm pretty sure I saw a layman around your cell. What's going on? He's like, no, there's no layman. I was outside my cell. I was laying down. And he's like, oh, that was you. 
says his friend, you know, he's like, oh, that was you. Okay, I thought there was a layman around here. And and he's sort of chiding him in, in kind of a backhanded way. But what the real beauty of it, if we can look past the sort of friendly uh, needling that's apparently happening, he's saying to him, he's like, oh, that was you. It didn't seem like you. You were laying down all dejected. I thought that was a layman, not you. And he's reminding him, don't forget what you came here to do. You are a soldier and an athlete of Jesus Christ. We came here to work. We came here to battle with ourselves and the passions and the devil. It's it's not becoming of us to lay down and die in front of ourselves. What are you doing? That's not who you are. And that's a real friend who can do that, who can look at you and say, hey, man, this is below who you are. This is not what you're about. Pick yourself up. Let's get moving. And, and, and that's what he does for him. And it's to me, it's it's beautiful that. And by the way, I, I'm forgetting the names of both of these Abbas, but they have their own chapters in the in the book, in the sayings of the Desert Fathers. So they are both spiritually accomplished men. But even spiritually accomplished men need a friend to remind them, hey, don't forget what you're here to do. Don't forget who you are in Christ. Pick yourself up and let's get back to work. Um, on the flip side, the mentally tough, like they do a better job at avoiding that. Like they don't lie down and say, okay, we're done. Okay, we're giving up. Like getting it, it, it takes so long for them to be mentally defeated. And that's really the fighter's mentality, um, you know, and that's really what is necessary for our, uh, that's really what is necessary for our spiritual life. If we read Paul's letters to Timothy, he tells him that. He tells him, be, be, strong, in the, be strong in the grace that was given to you in Jesus Christ. Like a good soldier, be like a good soldier who does not get entangled in civilian affairs but seeks to please the one who has enlisted him. And then he goes on to say, it is the, it is the, the that an athlete is only, that an athlete is only crowned if he competes according to the rules and that it is the runner who, and the runner must run swiftly to win the race. So what is he saying to him? He's like, look, you've got to do this lawfully. You've got to work hard. You've got to exhaust yourself like an athlete and a soldier. And if you do that, and you do that according to Jesus Christ, you'll be fine. And that's what what is reflected again in the Apocalypse of John in the third chapter where it says, to the one who overcomes, I will give to him to sit on my throne with me. Um, so there's this very real sense throughout the scriptures where even Christ says, it is he who endures to the end who will be saved. There's this very real sense that this will take endurance. This will take a fight. And guess what? Then you got to be mentally prepared. And then you've, you've got to expect that as a matter of course. Um, so that, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about preparing our people for today, uh, Father Joseph, because uh, I think American Christianity just as a whole um, gets too fluffy. We like to talk about God's promises and God's comfort, uh, but we forget that God is sending us as sheep amidst the wolves, that God is sending us out into a battlefield and a fight and a struggle. And he tells us, you'll be hated by all for my namesake. And then when it happens, where I have my pastoral experience has been, uh, most of our people are woefully mentally unprepared for that. Um, so uh, what is, has that been your experience? Have you found people to be more prepared or uh, what would you say to that? Uh, how, how has your pastoral experience been on that one? I think average people are unprepared. Even myself, I, I listening to you talk, I, I see the monks and I see that they spend their entire lives doing that one thing. But it's like, I look at it and it makes me ask the question, how do you do it? How in the world do you train yourself to have that level of focus, that level of ded dedication? How do you get to the point where you're almost never forgetful of the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it takes a lot of work. And some of us just physiologically are more 
adept at it. You know, you see the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets. I mean, can just anyone do that? Maybe with a lifetime of training, but obviously that those groups of people have something innately that that they're able to to conjure and and focus and put into practice. But that doesn't release me from having to show a similar level of dedication in my life. So how do we get there? You know, that's the question that I think that a lot of people would ask. It's like, okay, so I have to be an athlete. I have to be focused. I have to find this inner strength to, to fight and to struggle and to endure to the end in order to please my God. But how in the world do the, do I do that? I'm so exhausted by the end of the day that I can barely keep my eyes open at seven o'clock at night. Now what? Right? I mean, now what? Well, what would you say to that? Well, I think like, uh, I, it's a great question. And I think that is the, I think that is the next logical thing to ask. And if you're looking at it, uh, I, I think the answer is, is actually there. So um, you're correct, right? Like some people take to the, some people physiologically are just built to take to these sort of rigorous activities with a bit more ease. Uh, the truth of the matter is anybody can, with sufficient dedication, um, arise at these levels. I mean, you know, so anybody could, anybody could uh, become a, you know, a high level soldier or athlete with sufficient dedication and training. But I mean, of course, that presupposes mental fortitude, because you got to really stick on a very specific plan. So how do you even get there and get started? So there's, a, there's a there's a detail that people overlook pretty quick. Because most people's um, most people's exposure to training, whether it's military training, athletic training, monastic training, um, is relegated to montages. Whether it's like montages we see on movie and TVs, or like highlights in a book from like, okay, they did this, they they did that, they did that. It's all montages. But if you've ever gone into one of those type experiences, you'll notice something really peculiar that I think holds the key to the answer. Um, so I remember Father Hrishodlos. You probably remember Father Hrishodlos. He was a, uh, he's a priest monk who happened to be at the school. Um, he, he, he had long since graduated, but he came back to the school for some further studies when we were uh, at the beginning of our time at the seminary. And then he left and he's been around and we've seen him. And I remember him telling me a story once that when he was a new monk under his abbot, his abbot would like, they had to put the dishes up a certain way. And like one time he was washing dishes and he banged a couple of them together on accident and he apologized. And his abbot said, don't be, his abbot said, be more attentive. Don't do things mindlessly. And that seems a little harsh, but then we look over, look over at another strenuous environment. Look at basic training. What is some of the stuff that gets nitpicked at basic training? How you fold your socks. Do you realize that your socks and underwear drawer have to be meticulously organized and folded in exactly a specific way? I mean, who cares, right? No, it matters. Attention to details. Attention to the little things. You see, by building, by building specific precision, with small and mundane tasks, then we can ask you to do it with larger tasks. The sort of habitual precision that comes from rolling your socks and your undergarments in a specific way and organizing your pants in a specific way and shining your boots in a specific way and scrubbing the floor in a specific way in a specific time, having habitual precision. Once precision becomes habitual with these small, accomplishable, menial, everyday constant tasks, then we can ask you to be habitually precision. We can ask you to be habitually precise as a sniper. We don't start there. Everyone wants to jump straight to the sniper scope. You don't do that. If you can't be precise with your socks, why in the world would you be precise with a shot that a, that a, that a mission uh, rests on? See, whether it's a monastic environment or a military environment, 
you get these precisions in these little things like aerosol school. Uh, aerosol school is known for being very nitpicky because it only lasts like 10 days. Aerosol is where you're repelling out of airplanes. I'm sorry. I just said that wrong. Ugh. Aerosol is where you're repelling out of helicopters. I was airborne. You're jumping out of airplane. Aerosol is you're repelling out of helicopters. And it's only a 10 day school. Airborne school is three weeks. Aerosol school is 10 days. And so like if they tell you there's a number two, there has to be a number two pencil in your rucksack and it has to be in this pocket. And if it's not there or if it's in the wrong pocket or on the wrong side, you're out. You're done. And for people who need the aerosol qualification to do their job, well, that could be a big problem. Um, you know, I saw people have to change the in airborne school, have to change their jobs because they rocked out of airborne school and their job required an airborne qualification. But if you can't be precise with the contents of your pack, how can you be precise with a rappelling line and a harness and your buddy's harness? And, you know, so so that's that's the answer. And, by the way, and not to belabor the, the thing, but athletes do that, too. Athlete, high level athletes are meticulous about all these little things in their life. Um, you know, and, and, and it's why it's because precision is habitual. So where do we start? You start by being precise with these little things. You make your bed precisely the same way you walk the dogs, you throw on like, you know, like one of the things I've been doing in the morning, like when I take the dogs out, I throw in, uh, on YouTube, there's all these audio recordings of the Psalms. I put them on. There's one I like, I put it on. You, you do these things a certain way. Once you build precision in as a habit, then you start to expand that out. You can be precise with your prayer, a little more precise with your mood. When you see something that's going to throw you off, like you, you know, you, you've, you've been getting some traction being precise in your being loving and patient with your kids. And now you see like some little nerves or jitters or something at work is throwing you off and you're about to break form and forget who you are and be less than that then you can you know now you've got the wherewithal to perform a little bit of spiritual warfare and exercise exorcise that uh that inclination from the moment so that you protect the ones you love from i mean but it starts with like yeah i think it starts with habitual precision and all these little things because when you're looking at the lives of the people that we admire in this arena, that's where they start. They roll their socks a certain way and dress their drawers and they don't, uh, and, and they don't bang the plates and, and they, they trim the wicks and the candles. Have you ever noticed that? Like you go to a monastery, it's like, you'll be, they'll be like, father, help trim the wicks or something. And you go to them like, no, 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 not like that. Who cares how you do it? No, it matters. It actually matters if if you're just trying to get it done, it doesn't matter. If it is an exercise in habitual precision, it matters. So like that's according to their tipicon, though. Every motion throughout the day has a rhythm and a reason. Yeah, but don't we I mean, don't we have that in the house? Don't you have that in every home? I mean, the point being, if you're just trying to get things done and get things finished, that's kind of the epitome of sort of a mindless, inattentive doing. So if you turn it into an exercise, it's like, no, no, we're doing something real specific. And it, it, it's a training ground for, for, for discipline and fortitude. Well, then, okay, well, then, you know, doing it the right way matters. I mean, it's the, it's the whole wax on, wax off, sand the floor, paint the fence for Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. Remember that? Like Daniel's like, yes. yeah, wax on, wax on. And, and Miyagi's like, no. And like, like this and like this and this and this. And it turned out he was teaching him how to block. And if Daniel would have not just pay if if he had completely disregarded that or said why is this why is this goofball want me to want me to sand the floor this way that doesn't make any sense well you don't realize yet what the discipline is teaching you you know so don't presume you know the outcome man I don't know so what what do you think about this habitual everyday precision bro. I, I think that that's something that most of us eschew. I mean, a lot of us just want to be able or to look sock. at... Or a sock. You said eschew. Or a sock. Or a sock, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that That's playing oh, did on you the sneeze? words. Like, a shoe? You know, or, you know, a shoe? Did you a sneeze? A shoe. A shoe. Bless, Bless you. Bless you. He eats us. 
Yes, yes. Uh, the layman laying around. We know that that wasn't a play on words in Greek either, but it was in English. But anyway, it, it's something that we want to push off. We're busy. And just being able to muddle through the the everyday, the, you know, the, the mundane aspects of life is just a lot easier. It's, it's easier to be lazy about stuff. It's easier not to have a, a ritual and a dedicated, like, tipikon or, or manner of life every day. It just, it's easier. Our, so, our, our, I think we're late. Many of us are lazy or forgetful because it's easier. Right. Um, but I was thinking when you were talking about when you were repelling out of airplanes, <laughs> not easy to do, man, 300 miles an hour, anything like that would be very difficult. But, um, you had to have a number two pencil in a very specific place. What are they, what, what's the point of such a, a seemingly stupid detail, right? But I, I think that such a, something that seems so stupid is actually very useful because if you need the pencil, you don't have to use mental energy to go get the pencil. There's, there's muscle memory there. And that's one of the big things that athletes do, that people that are training hard in the spiritual life, on the basketball court, in the army, uh, in finance, you, you need to have, you need to build into your daily life muscle memory it's because we're, we're limited. The amount of energy that we have, the amount of focus that we have, it, it's, it's a limited resource because we're humans. So the more you can limit the amount of energy that you have to put into something simple like finding a pencil, you'll have more mental acuity and ability later to do an actual difficult task because you've reserved the energy. I think I've told you before that I, I typically walk through the following day, the night before, just to, to because I'm already spent and I can spend a small amount of energy at the end of the day preparing for the next day so that the next day is easier. So I have more energy in the morning to get the tasks done that I need to get done because focus and decision-making is a big uh, draw on the central nervous system. Uh, but there again, some people do it more effortlessly and with greater ease than others, but it's not an excuse. I, I read, uh, a story, not a story, but an account of some research that was done. <clears throat> some research that was done on, excuse me, on young children. And they were put into a room with a cookie and told, listen, uh, you can eat this cookie whenever you like, but if you can wait 15 minutes, you can have two. Uh, so the, the researcher would leave the room and go behind a uh, one-way glass or two-way is it one-way or two-way i can't whatever it, it's the kind uh, it's the kind that you can't see back like only one yeah, person can see like yeah, yeah it looks like a mirror but it's not a mirror it looks like a mirror is that one way it must be a one-way mirror anyway. um yeah I, I you know what you're you're making me second guess i would i would say one way right because yeah, i don't know but that but it, I, i'm second but i think but i know what you mean and i think everybody yeah, knows, yeah. everybody else it, does we, too yeah, we, yeah at this point right at now. this point we all know <laughs> it's like we don't uh so anyway, so the kid sits in there and, you know, a lot of kids would just eat the cookie, whether they were afraid of being in the room alone. I mean, we're talking about like kindergarten age ch children. So they're in a room by themselves. So they eat the cookie either because it's like, oh, there's a cookie or I'm afraid or, you know, there are any number of uh, things that get in the way of them holding out the whole 15 minutes. But then there were some children who actually made it the 15 minutes and they had techniques where they would look at the ceiling where they would busy themselves with, with counting or something. But it certainly was a big difference between some people had self-control and others didn't. And then they followed up with these people later on in life. And the people who lacked self-control as young children, even with that cookie, ended up showing uh, lower SAT scores. They didn't go to college, uh, higher rates of drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, I mean, it, it was actually really very negative 
repercussions based on something that you could see very early on in life. But why is that? You know, that begs the question, why, why is that? What, what is, and then how do you train that in a child? How do you train your child to be disciplined and focused and disciplined, especially in a world like ours that doesn't value discipline? It values a negative and false idea of freedom. It values individuality. It values relativism. I mean, it values everything but that, except we idolize people who exemplify it in in the sports and, and secular world. It's kind of a very strange dislocation no, it's of, the, it's of the reality. We, well, they allow us to live vicariously. Like we, we can feel right. like, you know, we look at- I can at, lay on look, the couch and eat chips while they're playing basketball at a high level. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, but yeah, well, but look at that. I mean, like, look how, how we speak about them. Look at how we speak about them. We say like, we like, um, like, okay, let's look at the Super Bowl that just happened, right? There's a whole bunch of Tampa Bay fans who are going to go, we won and put themselves in that collective second person, uh, first person plural, right? We won. No. They won. You watched them yeah. win. You know, we won. scored a yeah. touchdown. You didn't score a thing. Tom Brady threw some awesome touchdowns to Gronk. I, he scored two great touchdowns to Gronk. And then uh, the other guy, him blanking on his name, ran a great touchdown in 27 yards. They did that. <laughs> you know, the other people on the team can say we, but we get a false sense of accomplishment by attaching our personal identity to other people who are accomplishing we're living vicariously you didn't do a thing you're celebrating as if you won you didn't i mean it's fun but you but the the thing is your brain once your brain doesn't care where it gets its oxytocin dumped from it's gonna go oh we won and it's gonna dump chemicals in and it likes it and the chips in the beer make that feel better and all that but you didn't win a thing um so it's it's I mean, the vicarious living is a big thing. Sorry to cut you off, but I mean that's 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 what why we that's why we exemplify that's why we idolize these people who exemplify virtues that we don't even make an effort to have. We live vicariously, right? But and then on on that same vein, the passions are not looked at as passions or or negatively as vices anyway. Many of our passions today are seen as virtues, and and those passions are really. I, I don't think it's. Well, I do think it is on purpose for making money, but I don't know that people do it on purpose to destroy other people's lives. Maybe they do. I don't know. But what do I mean by that? Uh, if you go on Facebook, if you go on Twitter, what happens all day? You you you're in an echo chamber for the most part, just because of the algorithms where you, you see and hear things that the algorithm thinks you want to see or hear, or that makes you feel a certain way to increase revenue from advertising dollars. So you live in a world where your, your emotions and your passions are stirred all day, every day. And it's a scientifically proven fact that that, is a draw on your mental capacity and you get exhausted. And when you get exhausted, guess what happens? Your, your focus goes away. Your ability to, to self-regulate is diminished and you live in a constant state of emotional and mental exhaustion, living freely like un, and freely in a negative sense, like unre, unrestrained, you live in an unrestrained realm where, where your passions become your life and they can get completely out of control. And the only way to undo that is to disconnect from all of these mental and emotional drains and bring your mind and your heart into the same place. And this is the point of the Jesus prayer. This is the work of the monk, but it's, it's our work too. And we need to recognize those places where, where we're failing and why we're failing. Well, and that, and, right? and yeah, and, and that's where I, you know, this is where I, when it comes to it, all of the saints have been really, really adamant that continual prayer is not just for monastics. Now we, we identify with them because they devote their whole life to it, but it's supposed to be for every Christian. The command in scripture to pray without ceasing 
is there to every Christian, not just clergy, not just monks, everybody. And, and that's why it's beautiful that orthodoxy has the methodologies that it has, because they're simple, short, and easily deployable. I mean, you can vacuum, say, Lord, breathe in and breathe out. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or uh, do you can do that driving your car? You can do that walking your dog. You can do that cooking. Like, you know, if you can breathe, you can pray. You can do the Jesus prayer exercises. Like it, it, it's, it's a, and it doesn't. You know, you can do five other things and make it happen. So you can turn everyday life into prayer. Um, but one thing I want to throw in there because you, you, I, you're right to focus on the fact that all of these things cause a mental and emotional drain that puts us in a state of hyperarousal, and then we're worn out. But um, you, you don't become, you don't achieve, you don't achieve anything just like by trying to avoid it. So like, for example, if someone's trying to go back to St. Paul's analogy of the runner, like you're not going to become a great runner, just trying not to get worn out running. You'll like, you'll, you'll be able to cross some distance without gassing out pretty soon into your training. And that doesn't make you a great runner. What makes you a great runner is you've got to become stronger at it and you've got to become stronger in the ways that support that activity. So this is where going back, this is where there's an additional benefit to habitual precision in these little things that actually helps because here's the thing. Yeah, you're right in saying, yes, we eschew these kinds of disciplines. We don't want them, uh, but we're also miserable. We're also miserable. And most people's misery is the fruit of insecurity. They, they're, they're not sure what they're going to do. They're scared. Uh, what if I'm in over my head? What if I'm in this situation and I can't do X, Y, or Z? One of the things that we admire about people, like if you, if you meet an Olympic athlete, if you meet a high-level soldier, if you meet a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, you know, one of the things that you admire about them is they seem to be strong. In character, and they're happy, by the way, right? Why? Because there's something in their lives that gives them a sense of fortitude where they're like, okay, I know what I can, I, you know, I've got, I've got some resource in my life where I'm strong enough to say I can handle what's next. You may not have every resource, but you've got enough resources where you're like, okay, I can handle something. I can handle what comes. I have some tools in my toolkit that I can rely on. Habitual precision gives you begins to give you the sense of reliability. You're like, okay, I can count on this. I know I can accomplish this. What else can I accomplish? And it makes you reliable to yourself. It also makes you reliable to others. In the case of both, um, and I didn't go to aerosol school, so I'll have to speak about airborne school. But in the case of airborne school, right, when you're lined up in the plane and you've hooked up to your static line and you're ready to go, you check each other's gear. Right. Like, I mean, the, uh, you know, of course, right. The, the, um, the rigor sets you up and, and gets your shoot all rigged up. The jump master checks you. The last check is your buddy. Right. And you, and you give each other, you give each other the all okay. Well, you better be sure you're all about to jump out of a plane. Now, who do you want telling you that your parachute is yes okay before you go out of the plane you want it to be a guy that you know is so habitually precise that they're definitely sure it's good you not tracy morgan it's probably okay Pro oh yeah no yeah i didn't get the reference but yeah no yeah you definitely won't probably okay it's like you don't want to hear like when you're you're, you're passing the okay you know there's this shout that goes up from the back of the plane to the front Okay, 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 okay. As each person checks, you don't want to hear the guy behind you go, yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> It'll probably be all right. You know, like you hear that, the whole thing should stop. It's probably but be all right. But my backpack You're... has sandwiches in it. Yeah. Probably be okay. <laughs> I, brought, I brought sandwiches for everybody. Uh, yeah, no, but, but that's the thing, right? Well, who could, again, before you can trust that guy to be precise with a static line, like you want to know they're precise in general. Like this is a guy who is who is habitually precise. He has his stuff together. So when the when when the stakes are high, I can count on him. But also if you build that, you also know I can count on myself. It's like by being that habitually precise, we also know, hey, 
I can count on myself. Hey, I do have this. I've got this. We can make it happen. How do you know that? Well, because I make it happen every day. You know, I mean, so, so again, habitual precision, it's not just for other people and it's not just for getting things done a certain way. It also trains you to actually like have some fortitude. You should be like, yeah, okay, yeah, we can do this. Oh, wow, I can do that. Great. What else can I do? And that's the other thing that, that's the hack. You know, that's the other thing that our mind is put together to comp select. We, we like getting things done properly. It's like, ooh, once I can do one thing, what else can I, what else am I capable of? And that opens up whole new worlds. So, um, so not just like avoiding the exhaustion, but like strengthen the character. It's like, all right, be habitually precise. Great. You did all that. Awesome. What else? Yeah. So, I mean, that plays in perfectly to, to the idea of we are lazy and we do eschew those things, but that that's not an excuse on my end. It's just a recognition of it should be a recognition of where I am and how I need to get better. And then there's a few things that we need to do. So if I notice at the end of the day that I'm mentally exhausted and I found that I was on the internet screwing around with Facebook or whatever for hours, maybe step number one towards that spiritual discipline is starting each day to decrease the amount of input so that the amount of energy that I have to put back into my prayer is increased, right? So uh, our here's a great exercise, right? I, I think I told you this before. The, the part of your brain that does two and three digit multiplication does a really good job of keeping control of your emotions and making sure that you don't just blurt out whatever you think, or it helps manage anger. It It's a really important interplay between that rational thinking, intentional part of your brain and the more intuitive, emotional part of who we are. And if, if I'm tired and I'm exhausted because I made bad choices throughout the day, I need to use that thinking part of my brain to s- start to integrate myself. We, we as human beings have become very disintegrated. And the point of the spiritual life more than anything is to reintegrate the human soul. So we need to be intentional and disciplined and focused and work hard towards that reintegration because by taking time every single day, like you said, the the intentional precision is when I wake up, I do this, I wake up at this time, yada, yada, whatever it looks like in your life. But it needs to be the precision needs to be geared towards the reintegrate reintegration of my being so that I can worship God through intentional prayer and a life dedicated to him. Uh, body, heart, soul, and mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and 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 that's that's the idea. And the thing is, the, here's the thing. I mean, yeah, you can live without doing these things, but you know, again, Christ does say, "I came that they may have life and have it abundantly." When we don't do these things, when we sort of live aimlessly and and give in to our whims, we we turn into pretty miserable people. We're, like, we're not happier. We're more miserable and we're, we're not more virtuous. Quite the opposite. Like, there's a reason why we don't really uh, idolize the, we don't really look up to sort of the aimless individual, even if it does look like it would be fun for a, you know, a month or something. Uh, we don't really idolize it. We don't really look at it as as desirable because like at the end of it, it's pretty empty. At the end of it, it does nothing for no one, not even yourself. So I think what we're talking about is you're looking at, you're looking at a pursuit of Christianity where, yeah, it's, there's a little bit of labor up front, but at the end of the day, you're going to look back and at it and say, that was good. And I'm glad we did it. You know, you're happy, you're, you're able to be happier with your existence. And, and, and I'm talking the kind of joy that Christ refers to, not worldly joy, 
but the sort of joy that you know the so the sort of joy that he speaks about that can't be shaken by your worldly events that can't be shaken by your circumstances by things in your world going up and down because it didn't depend on that anyway um but if we go about things unattentively and we actually build our mental peace on you know the political process or the economy or everything in our family being the way we think it should be, then we're, we are going to be pretty miserable and we're going to sin a great deal because that's what miserable people do. I mean, you know, you, you can't help but be angry and, and, and nasty and backbitey and gossipy because that's what you've cultivated in your heart. So it, it's a matter of saying, it's a matter of looking at yourself with that gift of desperation and saying, you know, let's uh, let's practice some metania, the change of mind, the change of heart. You know, like Roman, like the Epistle of Romans says, um, take all th- thoughts captive through the renewal of your mind, and, and in renewing our mind in Christ, and our heart and our orientation in Christ, uh, we can actually live that glorious freedom of the sons of God, a joy that is to the fullest. But again, in Christ and not in these sort of transitory ways, but something that we can't lose. But yeah, it starts, I think, I think it starts, you know, by actually, um, you know, by actually looking at the little things in our lives and saying, it matters. And by looking at the little things in our life and saying it matters, it's a, it's a short step to look at the people in our life and saying they matter. And then looking at other people and saying they matter. Because if the little things matter, then the big things matter. It's also a short step to look at those little things and be like, who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah, whatever. Okay. But if the, if the little things don't matter, why should the bigger things matter? If the bigger things don't matter, why should these people matter? See, it's, it's all, it's, it becomes a holistic way of looking at your world. And I just don't see, I don't see a way to live as a Christian and have it in you to look at the image and likeness of God and another human being and say, you don't matter. And it starts with how you treat the little things. It starts with habitual precision. So here's a, here's a question for you. I heard you say a word that completely triggered a, a kind of a, a tangential. Thought, oh no. Are you triggered? Are you, do you need a I safe am, space? You're triggered. I, I'm in a safe spaces, man. I am in a safe space. I'm I am. A, I am the safe space. I, my, my, anywhere, <laughs> anywhere my enormous arms are is a safe space. I'm good. Hello. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> freedom. Interesting. You you mentioned freedom. How much? How much of our inability or l- lack of willingness to to engage? in this process do you think is because we have the wrong definition of freedom built into our mind? The whole thing, all of it. You think so? Yeah. I, I, I think so too, because we, we, we do a children's sermon here and this month we're talking about freedom. And I, I told, I asked all the children, you know, define freedom. They, and essentially, it boiled down to what I was taught freedom is, and it's the, the ability to choose and do whatever the heck I want at the end of the day. And I looked at them, I said, that's not freedom. And then if we bring that into this discussion, the, the elite athlete is able to do what he, he or she does. The elite soldier is able to do what he or she does because their dedication, their discipline, their focus brought them into a place where they actually become free. It's through all the little nitpicky things that they become free to become the best. And we see this in St. Paul too. He, he was free to be in bonds and to be beaten and to be stoned. And he was able to say, this is joy. He was able to be in a place of genuine freedom because he disciplined himself and he brought himself into a place where Christ was all in all in his life through constant work. But if we don't come to the place where we see that all of these little precise pieces of the puzzle bring us to a point of freedom, we're never going to be free. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's St. Paul who says, and, and never forget, you know, like exhaustion hits all of us. St. Paul says in Second Colossians that uh, they were pressed beyond their ability to endure so much so that they despaired of life itself. Everyone forgets to quote that from St. Paul, right? They all love Philippians. I can do everything through Christ. I can do all things through through Christ who strengthens me. But let's not forget Second Colossians, where Paul says that he was pressed beyond his ability to endure so much so that he despaired of life itself. But he didn't stay down. The apostle, you know, the, this paramount of the among the apostles got back up. He and he didn't lie about it. He didn't seek to hide. It. He admitted, it's like, yeah, I was, I was at my wit's end. I was at my strength's end. And this and this letter to you, Colossians, is still happening, and ministry is still happening, and we're still going on, and that's something that happened. Um, but you know, it's so. There's this great video on YouTube about this guy who, um, like his, I think it's called like "Embrace the Shake" or something like that. And it was, it's about an artist. And you should, you should watch. Everybody should watch. Go to YouTube, look up what I think is like "Embrace the Shake." art something like that and it's this guy and he was an art student and he developed some sort of neurological problem with his hands where the, his hands started shaking it wasn't parkinson's or something it was it, i it, like his his nervous system just became overtaxed with the the fine detail stuff so he changed and 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 he went into some serious he lost years of dejection but then he got back into art and he started creating on a bigger scale where the shake wouldn't where the shake wouldn't affect it. And then he got really creative, like making time-lapse art. Like he made one, one piece of art, which was really interesting. So he arranged tea light candles in the form of the, the image that he wanted to depict. And then he blew them out in sections and took like time-lapse photography of it. And what happens is, so the work of art didn't actually exist all at once. It only existed after it was blown out and only in the photograph being put on. But like, um, but if you were to have looked at it in any of those stages, there was nothing to see. So it only existed after it had been deconstructed and it was masterful. Um, and he, he made, you know, and he made like carvings and uh, he did things with blowtorches and just all of this really out of the box art. And his art ended up being more impressive and more, uh, more impressive and more creative than if his primary tool had never been interrupted. So what you're see, what I'm so the point is that what we think is a limitation can actually be inspiration. So it's like you 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 don't gain excellence aditi virtue excellence. You don't gain it by being able to go into a million directions at once and do whatever you feel like. You gain it by saying, "Here's what we're doing," and you focus it, and then that actually allows you to do more than you ever could. Uh, and that that's where freedom is misunderstood. Um, that's really where it's very misunderstood. Uh, and I'm not doing that video justice. Please check it. It's, it's, and it's super inspiring. You see what this guy was able to accomplish, but he was only able to accomplish it. And I'm not an artsy guy. And I was blown away by the stuff this, that this man produced. And he was only able to do that once he said, I'm going to lean into the limitation that was thrust upon me. I'm just going to lean into it. Let's go with it. If if this is what we've got to work with it, then let's go with it. And and it was just phenomenal. So in any event, I think if I think if our listeners just begin with little small incremental precisions throughout their day, they'll get very far. You can't jump straight to world-class artist, athlete, soldier. You, you got to just do, just do a couple little things. Just do, pick two or three little things today and then, you know, add one or two tomorrow. But make sure that those two, two or three things stay consistent and then add two or three more or one more, whatever. But, you know, we start small, we habituate ourselves to it. And, you know, in a year's time, suddenly being patient, kind, prayerful, and loving is just the way you live. You're like, oh yeah, I'm just being myself. Ah, well, it's, it's the little things. Consistency in the little things. Yep. It's a good way to to wrap it up, I think. I agree. Be, be consistent in the little things. You'll see that in the boxing ring. You'll see that in MMA. You'll see that everywhere. That you just... But, but don't forget that 
Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan didn't get their jump shot jump shot without self reflection. Mm-hmm. So and that's that's part of this 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 whole consistency thing. It's like if I want a consistent jump shot, I have to do it the exact same way every time. But that exact same way every time has to be on target. Mm-hmm. And there might be little micro adjustments at first. It's like, okay, my, my release is nice and high, but my index finger is out of place and it's causing the ball to rotate and kind of have a trajectory that's off to the left. So, uh, but I have to be self-aware. I got, I've got to be watching what I'm doing. So be self-aware and those little precise steps come through self-awareness in the game, play the game and look to be precise and, find those areas in your life that are big and and where you're doing really well or where you're really struggling and look for little places to improve them every day so that over the course of five or 10 years, you have a nice, a nice return on your investment to use uh, financial terms. We'll go over the board. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and, and here's the thing when we hear what's really interesting that what happens is there, there's something very meditative that comes with trying to truly disciplinedly do anything because you see, you see people when they do that, they have to start reflecting on themselves. Like you said, on, on their, on their mental life, on their emotional life, how are things at home? Um, you know, this, their sleep life, like they become disciplined and attentive to, they're being in all, across all areas. I mean, even like, uh, like I, you know, high level mathematicians start talking about philosophy, you know, like it's like, you can't, you can't knuckle down without really looking hard at yourself. And that's why it's beautiful that we have confession and spiritual fathers. And we don't have to look, sometimes looking at ourselves is hard and not pretty. when I mean, you don't have to do that alone. When father, uh, I do want to thank you for, for, talking today and recording this was excellent and look forward to getting another one up soon amen uh so everybody don't forget to check us out on facebook on instagram and anchor fm uh, apple podcast spotify all the above bingo um all at uh, on the battlefield or on the battlefield podcast on on instagram and facebook Uh, Again, thank you, Father Michael. Um, Everybody go out there, live on the battlefield. Take those tiny, small steps. Find us on Facebook and let us know how it's going. Um, If if you're having a struggle or an issue, um, feel free to reach out to us. Talk to your priest about it. If, if you found that, that you've had a great victory uh, because of something that we've talked about, please let us know. It's really encouraging and, and helps us um, endeavor and keep on going to, to keep on offering uh, content uh, on this platform. So everyone, thank you for listening and, and uh, close us out, Father Michael. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, do share, the, do share those victories. Part of, lo- part of living with a sober mentality a sober, watchful mentality is acknowledging things for what they are. So if you've got a win under your belt, acknowledge it. If you got a loss, acknowledge that too, but acknowledge the win. Absolutely. May the Holy Trinity bless and protect you always, both now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Okay. God bless you, Father. See you. Uh, we'll, t- we'll do this again in two weeks. God bless you too. See you next time here on the battlefield. Hoorah.